0: You're listening to a message from Third Church in Richmond, Virginia, where we believe we are called together for the renewal of all things through Jesus Christ. To learn more about Third or how you can get involved with our community, please check out our website, thirdrva.org. That's T-H-I-R-D-R-V-A dot org. Thanks for listening. My name is Gina Mayo, and I'll be reading today from John 4, verses 4 through 30, and then 39 to 42. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and what it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or, why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him. The word of the Lord.
1: Let's pray together. Come Holy Spirit, we pray as we turn to your word. We want to be those who don't just read words on a page and listen to a preacher, but we want to be those who encounter the living, risen, reigning Lord Jesus and to meet him. So help us to meet him today and to walk away different because of it. Move in us that we might see him, know him, and drink of the living water that he's offering. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. My friend Kevin is from Texas, and he, his family has a couple of pieces of land in the Texas Hill Country, um, and each of these properties have a house built on them. The first is built along um, the Sabinal River, and so they call that one the River House. And the second is a log cabin, which is a couple miles down the road, and they call that one the log cabin. Very creative names. River House (laughs) Log Cabin. Um, Now, the river house uh, is sourced by a well. And it's technically drinkable water, but nobody likes to because the water is super high in mineral content and smells like rotten eggs. Um, And so the water, you know, leaves stains on dishes and Stains your clothes and stains, uh, you know, when you brush your teeth with it, it leaves your mouth more grimy than it was before. Not particularly good water. That's, that's the water um, from the well of the river house. Down the road at the log cabin, uh, they, it's also fed by a well, but that well taps down into a natural spring that is flowing deep under the surface of the ground. And that water is delicious. Best water you'll ever taste. Cold, clean fresh, clear. And the reason is, it's because it's moving. It's rushing. It's running. It's flowing all the time. In other words, it's living water, living water. Throughout this sermon, I, I want you to keep those, that, that image in your mind of those, of those two water sources, the stagnant well and the spring of living water. Because this series, and what John is doing is he is giving us an invitation. We've been saying that throughout this whole series. God is saying to us through the person of Jesus, come and see. And that means come and experience something. God is inviting us through this person, Jesus, to experience new life, new grace, new mercy, and kindness of God in and through this person, Jesus. But he's also calling us to be an invitational people that we would invite others to receive the same experience that we've received in Christ. And so the invitation today that we are being offered is to to invite us away from the stagnant water, away from the water that stinks, away from the water that does not satisfy. And Jesus instead is offering us this eternal supply of this never stopping, always satisfying, fount of living water that quenches the very, very deepest places of our souls. And then he's inviting us to be a vessel of that living water for others. So I wanna look at this story just through those two simple invitations. I think there's hardly a better story that, that illustrates this twofold dynamic of being invited in and then inviting others. So here's how I wanna do this. I wanna first look at this invitation to come and drink, uh, to come and drink the living water. And then second, to go and share. So come and drink it, go and share it. Does that make sense? Are you all with me today? All right. Y'all can hear me over the escalator? Great. Okay. So first, let's look at um, the first part of the story. So it says in verse four that Jesus is traveling through Samaria. Now, that itself is actually kind of a big deal because rabbis would often travel this way, but almost always the rabbis, the Jewish rabbis went around Samaria because they hated Samaritans. So it's striking, of course, first, Jesus being Jesus, that he chooses to go right into the heart of Samaria. So it, it, they come to Jacob's well, which is a famous well, and it says that it's the sixth hour, which means it's high noon. And so in the middle, you can imagine in the Middle East, it's high noon. It's very hot. The sun is beating down hard. Um, they're hot and tired from their journey. So Jesus' disciples, his friends, they go into the town um, to buy food, and Jesus, for whatever reason, decides he's just going to sit there and chill at the well. So he sits down. So it says uh, that a woman comes along, a woman of Samaria. Now, immediately, the way John tells this story is signaling to us that there is something wrong um, with this woman's life. The first reason is because she's coming in the middle of the day, which no one did. Uh, if you went to the well, and this is still, if, you, if you're a common laborer, or if you have responsibilities in the outdoors in the Middle Eastern heat, you always do it in the early morning um, or in the early evening. You don't go in the middle of the day when the sun is hottest. So that's the first thing that signals to us that something's going on. But the the, the real thing that signals us is that she's alone. Because it was a common practice in the Middle East, that it was a communal practice of the women in the village to all leave the village together in the early dawn um, and to travel to the well together. And that was a way that they practiced socialization and conversation and community building. And it also was a way to keep the women safe. And it also provided a easier way for them to transport water back to the village. And so the the real thing that signals us that something is going on in this woman's life is that she is alone. We immediately realize that she, in some ways, is socially isolated from her own community. That something has happened that has cut her off, that has ostracized her, that has made her an outcast in some way, that has labeled her in some way. And then, of course, later in verse 17, uh, we discover what that is. Uh, We find out that she's had five husbands, Um, And the man that she's currently living with is not her husband either. Now, let me just say this. I've actually been really um, changed this week in my own understanding of this story. Um, The way that this story has been interpreted throughout church history um, is that this woman is sort of a floozy, like that this woman is uh, is loose, that she's almost bordering on a prostitute, and that she has sort of jumped from man to man. Um, And I want to just say that, like, I have preached this sermon, this scripture this way, um, and I believe that I and many others have been wrong, um, that just from really studying the historical context and actually hearing some really gifted women scholars and teachers speak on this, I really think that is historically impossible, because in a highly uh, patriarchal society like this one, um, in which a woman in which a, a woman could be divorced from her husband for something as tiny as a facial gesture that he didn't like, uh, I'll tell you what this woman has happened to her. She has been used and discarded, and used, and discarded, not once, but five times over. And we don't really know why, uh, whether it was because of infertility, she wasn't able to have kids, or whether just because of the bad luck of these men dying, or whether it was just simply because of the selfishness and abuse of these men in her life. But for whatever reason, she is now rejected and abandoned five times over. And here's the problem also, is that to be in a woman in a male-centered patriarchal society, you couldn't live on your own. You had to be attached to a man for your own livelihood and dependence, except the man that she's living with, which is most likely her dead husband's brother, which was common back then, wouldn't marry her either. Why? She's damaged goods. Something's wrong with her. Why would you want to be with somebody like that? So do do you see what's going on with her? Whatever the reason, her life is a is a mess. Uh, Her her life is is a train wreck, riddled with rejection and abandonment, trauma, and most likely sexual abuse. And so you see why she's alone? Because she is alone. She is truly, terribly alone. Does that change your perspective on this woman at all? It certainly did. I wonder how many stories of women in the Bible we misinterpreted over the years. So here's Jesus um, just sitting there at the well as she approaches. And now in ancient societies like this one, um, if you were a man and you saw a woman by herself approaching you, it was culturally expected that you would get up and you would give her plenty of space so that she could approach the well in a safe and culturally appropriate way. Well, not Jesus. He just sits there and he sees her approaching And he doesn't move, and he doesn't get up, and he doesn't move away and give her space. He just sits there, and he waits. He waits for her. And she approaches, and she sees this strange man, and I wonder what she's thinking. You know, I wonder if she's thinking about turning around. I mean, she is pretty, has come to distrust men, (laughs) and I'm getting, she's wondering that whether she can trust this one or not, and yet for some reason she decides to approach anyway. And so the first thing Jesus does is he asked her for a drink. Which was very surprising for a number of reasons. One, because it's surprising that Jesus as a man in a society in which a husband was not even permitted to speak to his own wife in public would talk to a strange woman in public by himself with no witnesses, no one there to see it, violating a major taboo, but Jesus just doesn't care. He doesn't care about what's socially appropriate. He doesn't let the customs of the day prevent him from talking to her. And what's more, he's ignoring about 500 years of hostility between the Samaritans and the Jews. You know, the Jews viewed Samaritans as basically racially impure religious heretics. They wanted nothing to do with them. It says it in the text. And yet again, Jesus ignores all of that and speaks to her anyway. And she herself is surprised. She says in verse nine, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria. She's shocked. She can't believe that this man is talking to her, that he is asking her for something, that he's putting himself in a place of vulnerability and need and requesting from her something that she alone can offer him. She's amazed that he as a Jew is not only talking to a Samaritan, but seems to be willing to share a well and even the common bucket with a woman that he has been taught all his life to despise. And so already I'm guessing she is intrigued. She is bewildered. Maybe she's attracted. Who is this man? Who is he? And then Jesus tells her, he says in verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, then you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now this is just masterful. I mean, Jesus is such an amazing teacher. He just sort of takes, he's thirsty, she's thirsty. They're both hot, right? They're both dying for a drink. And so he takes this like simple experience of thirsting for water and he turns it into this masterful spiritual analogy. Anybody ever here been like super, super thirsty or nearly dehydrated? Um, It's a terrible experience. You know, you will always die first from dehydration before you ever die of starvation, and you kids know this, right? They tell you from the time you're little that your body is mostly made of water, and so when you get dehydrated, when you start to get dehydrated, um, it's not just that your throat is dry, um, it's that you literally your whole body is drying up, that every uh, fiber and muscle and patch of skin is crying out for water. People who die of, uh, die of um, dehydration um, die, die in torment, their whole bodies are burning because literally they're drying up and withering away. And so Jesus is saying to this woman, I have something you need even more than water. I have something that your soul needs even more than your body needs water. Something that if you keep going to anything else but this living water, then your soul will dry up and your body, your whole life, Will be permanently dehydrated to the bone. Jesus is using um, a very simple metaphor here in water to describe a very uh, a deep idea, right? And the idea is that I really think that what he's getting at is what we that we all live for something. We all live for something. Um, every single one of us needs some hope or some purpose or some meaning. Um, some mission, some goal to get out of the bed in the morning. Like if, honestly, if you didn't have a meaning for your existence and for life, then you wouldn't have been able to get up and get here this morning. Um, And it may be one of many things. For some people, it's your personal success. For some people, it's reputation or uh, an idea about your future. Other people, it's a career or a relationship or romance or your kids or family or the legacy that you want to leave behind. But every single human being has to live for something to make life meaningful. That's how life works. We all human beings live for something, right? And what Jesus is basically saying here, anything in this world that you live for will make your soul dry up, will make your soul dry up. Because it's um, Super Bowl Sunday and I see some of you wearing your Eagles jerseys. Yeah, go Eagles, whatever. Uh, (laughs) um, I feel like every preacher always feels like you have to use like a obligatory football analogy on Super Bowl Sunday, so here's mine. Um, uh, Tom Brady, um, you know, winningest quarterback in NFL history. Um, any of y'all ever see that um, 60 Minutes interview he did years ago? I think it was after his third or fourth Super Bowl win, and the 60 Minutes interviewer was saying, like, man, Tom, like, you're on the top. You made it, man. You made it. He's got all of his, like, Super Bowl rings lined up. And Brady just has like this look of almost sadness. And he says, yeah. And how is it that I could have three or four Super Bowl rings and just still feel like there's got to be something else? There's got to be something else. See, that's the problem with guys who make it to the top. Very few of us do as humans. The problem with people who actually get to the top of the mountain is because they're the ones who have found out that nothing's there. Nothing's there. And in a way, that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying like anything you live for leaves you dry because everything you live for is fragile and fleeting will turn to dust. You live for a job, you can lose it. You live for a person Uh, They can betray you or leave you or die. Uh, You live for a dream, that dream can be crushed. Every single thing we live for can die and crumble and be turned to dust, except one thing, Jesus says, I am offering you living water that can quench your soul, that will run so deep in you that no matter what comes in your life, no matter what despair, no matter what disappointment, it will well up and keep flooding you with joy and purpose, no matter what, flowing up, rushing up into eternal life, he says. He says, satisfying you forever. This is the one thing, I myself, in the living water that you need. And I got to tell y'all, for a woman like this, um, who has been used up and cast off so many times, I think drinking of this living water of Jesus means finally meeting a man in Jesus who sees her and knows her and dignifies her and offers her the real and true satisfaction she's been looking for all these years. And to do that, he does have to name a very painful part of her story. He does that. He reminds her of her failed marriages. He reminds her of her brokenheartedness. He reminds her of her grief and even her trauma. And that is sometimes what Jesus does to help us recognize how truly thirsty and dehydrated we are. He shows us our places of deepest sorrow. But then he says to her, and he says to you and me, right there in that painful wound, right here in the deep, desperate, dry, dark valley of your life, where you are right now, my living water is going to flow. And all that love that you've been longing for and all that peace and all that acceptance and all that belonging and all that desire to be known, to be seen and valued and safe, all of that you are longing for me, for me. I am the living water. I'm the only one who can satisfy the thirst of your soul. I have a friend who is a sexual assault survivor, and um, she told me this week that this story offered her healing after that experience. And she gave you permission to share her words. She wrote this, um, that she relates to this woman because instead of this man, Jesus, following the pattern that she's used to from fallen men who in the past have used her as an object or worse, Jesus meets her and speaks to her and sees her and offers her living water. And then my friend writes this, if your experience with men has been traumatic, It might not feel safe to let even Jesus get close to you. But this story showed me that Jesus is safe, that he sees, and that he wants to offer living water to me instead of death and destruction. In Jesus, she found a person and not just person, she found a God um, that she, she could entrust with her wounds and that she knew would handle her story safely, and that ultimately would leave her into living waters and healing. So I want to ask you, what wounds are you carrying? You know, like, like if, if Jesus were talking to you, what part of your story would he bring up that was a story of pain where he knew you thirsted the most, right? Like, where where uh, is your thirst the deepest? Where is your soul the driest? Where is your pain and disappointment most acute, um, that thirst could be there because you have a story like this woman's or like my friend's. Um, I know that some of you have a story of abandonment and rejection. Um, some of you have a story of infertility um, and a failed marriage. Um, some of you are like this woman. You just sort of carry around believing the lie that you're worthless. And if that's your story, I really want to hear you to hear me say that Jesus is saying, come drink of me, the living water. That... I am the one who can flood these places of pain and hurt and even trauma in your life, um, bringing renewal and satisfaction and a healing that Jesus alone can bring. Others of you um, may be in places of thirst right now because of your own stupid mistakes. Because you have tried to quench your thirst on broken cisterns of stagnant water. Uh, And instead of satisfaction, you have ended up with disappointment or addiction or restlessness, or you are destroying your own life in the process. And what I want you to hear is that Jesus is also offering you the living water. And he is saying, stop going to the stagnant well. Stop giving up your putrid water sources. I am the living water. I am the only one who can satisfy. This water will never run out. And so whoever you are, we have lots of different stories in the room. So whether you're more like Nicodemus, from last week, or whether you're more like Legion, who's made a mess of his life, or whether you're more like this woman, who other people have made a mess of her. Whoever you are, whatever your story is, Jesus is saying, come, stop, rest, drink, and be satisfied. That's the invitation to you. There's a second invitation though, and that is to go and share. And let's just look briefly at the second half of the story because this woman is changed. Um, she's encountered by this, she's changed by this encounter with Jesus. In verse 28, she runs back to her town and she begins to tell her townspeople, the same people who shamed and rejected her, she begins to tell them about this guy that she's met. And I love this sermon. You guys probably would love a sermon this short. Verse um, verse 29, She says, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Now, at first pass, that doesn't sound like great news to me. Um, uh, Do I want somebody to see everything I ever did? (laughs) No, not really. Uh, Probably you don't either. But of course, what she means is, look, this man has seen me and he knows me. And he's the first person to actually truly know my full story and yet loves me and does not reject me. So her message, her testimony, as the townspeople say later, is not look at me and what a great Christian I am. Won't you become like one like me? Her message is, look how this man has met me in my place of great brokenness and yet has offered me healing and life. And that's the very best thing. That's how Jesus wants to use us family is he wants us to speak of our own personal struggles and how God has met us in his grace in those places of pain and has brought us healing in life. That's the best way that we can testify to the person of Jesus. That's what she's doing here, right? And note also, she doesn't even have her questions answered. She, she asked this in verse 29, could this be the Messiah? Uh, she isn't sure. She thinks so. Uh, she certainly doesn't have all of her questions answered. She doesn't have all of her doctrines straight. She simply knows that this person is unlike anyone she's ever met. And so she simply says, come and see this man, who I'm pretty sure is the guy we've been waiting for. So when we're given the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus, our calling, dear family, is not to share uh, our religion or our moral code or not to try to get people to obey the 10 commandments or to accept our moral or political values or even to say that we are somehow right and have all the answers because we certainly don't. Our simple call is to invite people to see Jesus, to see him uh, in our stories, to see him in our life, to see him in the scriptures, to see him in the Christian community. Jesus doesn't need our help. He just needs people to clearly see him. And he does that through us. So I love the way this story ends and compare this woman's from end to the beginning, right? In the beginning of the story, she's ashamed and rejected and she's in hiding. And she comes to the well in the heat of the day to avoid all the other people. And by the end of the story, she's standing in the center of the town square, proclaiming and testifying the good news about Jesus. She's the first preacher. She's the first missionary. And through her, an entire town comes to know Jesus. The woman who is scorned becomes the bearer of salvation. As one commentator put it, she went out that morning looking for water and she comes home with the well. She becomes the well. She becomes the fountain of living water that is now offering the good news of living grace to others in her community. And this is what God wants to do with each of you. You know, some of you are feeling like you're just living a meaningless life. You're not sure why you wake up in the morning. Others of you are leading dead-end jobs. A few like like' getting you nowhere. Others of you are like this woman and you may feel like you're damaged goods and you're so used up and cast out that you're not good for much anymore. And what Jesus is wanting to do is to bring you into his life. He loves taking people in need, people who are broken like this woman, people who feel trapped in their stories and not just plunge them into his living water, but then call them into his work to make them vessels of his grace for others. Jesus loves turning people into wells for the others who are parched too. And so Jesus' plan for your life, I believe, is not just to give you living water, but to turn you into a well of living water for others. And so who might that be? Who might Jesus be calling you to? What barriers? Uh, I want you to think about this. What barriers might Jesus be calling you to break? What um, social conventions or cultural expectations might Jesus be calling you to ignore like he did? Uh, What person, perhaps someone like this woman who was alone, an outcast, a racial or moral or sexual outsider in some ways, what person might Jesus be calling you to love, to wait for, and to share the living water with? So friends, as I close, I want you to picture in your minds again, um, the river house and the log cabin, the stagnant well, the rushing spring. I want you to picture yourself before standing there in the Texas Hill Country, it's dry, it's hot, your throat is parched, you're longing for a drink. What are you gonna do with your thirst? Where are you gonna go for water? You could go to the well, that well with stagnant water. You've been there many times, dropping your bucket deep down into it and you know what comes up, nothing, or a leaky bucket or a bucket of rancid water. That's the well. And then there's the spring, who is Jesus himself. He says, here I am, the gift of God. I'm offering you my very self. I'm offering you the spirit. I'm offering to tap you into the deep source of my overflowing joy that can satisfy you forever. Where are you gonna go with your thirst? Jesus says, all you need to do is drink. Come and drink. So let's let's bow our heads. And I just wanna give you a moment To be honest with yourself, where is uh, your thirst the deepest right now? Where is your soul the driest? Where is the pain and disappointment most acute? And there may be something in your life right now that you just need to name to God and a place of pain that you've not really talked to him about. And there may be something in your life right now that you need to repent of because you were turning to a false water source for the life you thought you could get from it. And I just want you to imagine that place in your life as a dry and parched ravine, dusty and cracked. And then you hear Jesus saying, I am the living water. Would you let the water of the spirit of the living God flow into this parched landscape of your life Would you drink of me? Would you receive it?